Welcome to the Weight Loss for Women podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can eat more, train less, and lose weight in a healthy and sustainable way. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and Saturate, creator of pro-metabolic food supplements and seriously saturated skincare. And today I'm joined by our good friend, Kate Deering. Kate, welcome back. Always a pleasure to come yeah. and spend time with you. She's like my sister from another country. I bet. One day, one day, Kate. Yeah, I talk about yeah, I talk about you enough that I'm like, I've never met her, but I feel like I feel like we're sisters. We are. It's so yeah, it is. We're a bit loose cannons back in the day, weren't we? We would have totally partied together. Oh, we would have been very good friends. (laughs) We would have been very close, for sure. Yeah. Oh, too funny. Okay. Yes. So much anymore. We don't drink and take the drugs like we used to. No. We're very wholesome people now. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm like in bed by 9.30. I'm like, oh, turn everything off. I mean, it's so weird. Yeah, like if Craig's ever like, let's watch a movie at 8 p.m. like, fuck no. <laughs> We'd never start a movie at 8 p.m. Are you kidding? Well, never. Well, you know, sometimes I'll fall asleep on the couch and I'll wake up and I'm like, it's 10.45. Oh my gosh, you know, and I panic a little bit. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? I'm like, it's going to be okay. But, you know, I like my sleep cycles. Same. And food. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, today we thought we'd do a, uh, what, what, what were we t- saying it was going to be? <laughs> coffee talk. Well, yeah. You know, people have coffee, t- coffee talk. That's a New York thing. That's what they say. And so I thought we would have carrot talk because normally when K- Kitty and I talk, we're both easily eating a carrot salad. We're like, what do you got in your carrot salad? So we're not going to eat it in front of you today, although we could. So I thought it would be carrot talk. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. Without the yeah. carrots today. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. No care. Yeah. We already, I already ate it. So. Yeah. All right. So we've got some questions. Um, like that. Number one, any benefit of eating protein custard before bed? Max, Maxine burn dessert protein. Should we look at what's in it? I'm sure it's full of dog shit. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I, I did. And, and just FYI, these are questions that people sent to me. So hopefully those people listen, I'll send that out. But I did look it up <clears throat> and you can you want to look it up too it's yeah I'm gonna look. It's, it's primarily whey protein that's the protein that's, that's in those things and i think it's yeah. it's it's a like a high protein uh sold that's sold as like a fat burning bar okay let's just first start these things are complete crap and garbage yeah. and um there's marketing at what's in it right and there and there's no food that you can eat that's just going to rev up your fat burning however now scientifically speaking Protein takes more energy to break down if you're using as energy, but I wouldn't eat a whey protein right before bed. If I was going to consume any sort of protein, right, we would do casein protein or gelatin because actually they're going to help actually support sleep because casein is a slower release protein and the gelatin has glycine in that is really supportive to sleep. So, but you kind of want carbs and a little fat too before you go to bed. I wouldn't consume a high amount of protein, like a moderate amount. But for the most part, that's why ice cream is such a good food. So those bars in particular would not be something I would recommend for you to have the prior or eat at all, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just look. I can't see, I can't see the ingredients. Let me, um, you got to go down. I think it, uh, if you like scroll down and then I, I peeked on them and there was like ingredients and there was like two different types of whey protein. You can read them. Yeah, I'm trying to like see the back of the. I forget. Maxine's burn. 
Yeah, I'm looking at it. Burn custard. Yeah. There you go. Rhubarb. What can I see the back? The you gotta like go down. Go to ingredients. Go to the ingredients. Uh. Just says the protein blend, and then it's got doesn't have the full ingredients. That's weird. Nutrition well, information. Calcium. What can you see a little bit of calcium? Yeah, green coffee extract, L-carnitine, choline, and inositol, green tea, dairy calcium. No, it doesn't have the other binders and yeah. fillers. Yeah, so it's got a lot of shit in it. Yeah, just so... get a plain, just obviously, you know, saturate, clean casein, 100%. That, that would be a slide. Yeah. The bottom line is, yeah, I mean, whey, whey protein, if you're going to consume it, it's best because it's such a quick absorbing protein to have it post-workout. But it, it can be really GI irritating to a lot of people. So from kind of where we're coming from, since we're, this kind of space, we really want to be kind to our digestive system and not give it a lot of crap that's going to be irritating. It's just mm. a food I would not consume. It's just clever marketing, hey? It's great marketing, right? Marketing, most of the health industry is marketing. That's why we're not any healthier than we were eight years ago, right? I mean, sadly, that it is a lot of great marketing and it's a very emotional purchase for most people. And that's why it's it's very profitable. Mm. All right, number two. Before finding the pre-metabolic way, I had an ablation. Should I be concerned about high iron and what can I do about it? Yeah, so this individual obviously had an endometrial ablation, so they kind of cut out part of your... I think uh, they burn it. No, they, they cut some out from like... Or they might use, yeah, they might use like a laser kind of to burn, yes. But either way, you have a thick lining and, they, and you have a heavy period and that's why they're doing it. But... It, this the question was a really a little bit confusing. I actually asked the, the 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 lady that sent this to me, and I was like, "High iron in a woman is usually going to accumulate post uh, you not having your period, because at that point in time, your period is a time where you release iron." And so, so I guess I guess the thought was, "Am I going to have less heavy periods? Will I start ha absorbing more iron or keeping more?" You will. But on some level, if you have really heavy periods, I mean, there's that's why so many ladies can become anemic because they are releasing too much. So I, that wouldn't be really a concern. But the, the more concern is, yes, as you get older, you are going to keep more iron because you don't have your period to get rid of it. Like you excrete like a, a milligram uh, per day. And, you know, technically you, you're probably only absorbing a couple milligrams and but as you age, you don't need as much. And so that's why it's usually recommended that if you're going to have like your meat or you're going to consume high iron foods to have it something with a coffee. So it can inhibit some of the iron absorption. Of course, again, if you are low iron, don't do that. You might need additional and then you would have it with something like orange juice to increase the absorption. But I, I don't think that that would create a problem. It's amazing um, like the amount of women that come into our program who've had ablations. Mm -hmm. This doesn't obviously fix the actual issue. Right. I mean, you're having a heavy period for a reason, right? And that's, sadly, that's not usually what they do to you. They're not trying to figure out your health and your nutrition and why you're, why that's happening, right? And it's usually because of an excess of estrogen. So why is that happening? And that's kind of what you have to get to. And usually if you can regulate someone and get their blood sugar regulated and get them sleeping better, you can get their cycles better, that tends... And a lot of and a lot of women, what I find too, and I'm going to throw this out there, is if they get on proper thyroid medication, that can be completely rectified quickly. Mm -hmm. Like, again, not a doctor, just something I've noticed. Yeah. 
and do the basics first and still do the basics absolutely it just means nothing and take thyroid yeah Yeah. right that's right we have to put that in there that's it yeah that's the disclaimer yeah (laughs) um any ideas on histamine support sorry Histamine. Uh, so obviously there's a lot of, your body produces it. The mast cells produce it. Uh, the parietal cells will produce it. So produce from your stomach acid. Um, you, food has it. So de- depending on what's happening to someone, but there's a lot of reasons why somebody might have excess histamine. And it could be A, they can't break it down. So uh, I think it's dioxyl-DAO. And- is the enzyme that breaks down histamine. And so it's very copper dependent. So if somebody has a low copper diet, might not be producing the enzyme to break down. I also believe it needs magnesium. So those nutrients are really helpful with histamine breakdown. Um, Also production. So if you have a slow moving bowel and a lot of bacterial overgrowth, usually you're gonna see excessive histamine. So making sure that your bowel is moving on a daily basis is gonna help that. So that would include not eating foods that are really hard to break down that, that and you're going to have more carbohydrates that are going to break down earlier earlier on in your intestinal tract that are going to absorb more through the small intestine so that's going to be primarily the simple carbohydrates um starches tend to if because they're going to be broken down farther along your digestive tract and so the tendency is again if you are slow moving if you are hypothyroid if things aren't moving in the appropriate way then limit those kind of foods until you get things moving and then that's also making sure that you're producing ample energy to support that to to support metabolism so again eating enough taking care of your stress eating care of salad anything that's going to support gi health is going to essentially help lower histamine um dangers and benefits of ice baths ice baths Let's see. Interesting because they become so popular, don't you think? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I I think it's the whole hormesis thing, right? It's like because they they initiate a slight shock to the system. You know, the whole like give your body some type of stress and it will make it stronger kind of thought process. And it probably can do that on some level. I mean, it's certainly going to lower temporary inflammation on someone, but is it going to like help improve your metabolic rate if, if we're coming from that context? No, because it's going to kind of do the opposite, right? Like you're slowing everything down. And I think it's the same theories that they've, they've kind of bounced back and forth with it, even with healing. You know, someone hurt something and they used to do ice baths. Now, a lot of times they put you in a hot tub, right? Because they want to increase the circulation. But yes, I mean, putting it in ice will decrease inflammation. And I think that's why a lot of people do it. They go and do a fight or they go to a hard workout and they go right into an ice bath. And then they don't have that inflammatory process. The question is, is that like ideal? Like, are you kind of stopping a function that your body's trying to do? So I just think it's like an open discussion. I don't think we have like tons of good long-term data on these things, right? They're kind of things that people do and they, they I think they're like super like, makes me strong here. I sit in the ice for five minutes, right? And it probably does, right? It maybe gives you this mental, it's certainly probably going to increase your adrenaline. So you probably get out and feel like a rock star. But um, I, I, don't love them. I was having a right. chat, like just got this um, message group chat. I've got lots of different message group chats with different people. Um, yeah. But one with Libby and Craig and they were talking about how it can inhibit muscle growth. Like if you do it too close to training, which is interesting too. So 
might be good if you're like, you know, competing in the CrossFit games and you just need to keep backing it up and, you know, like, but if your goal is to actually build muscle, doing it too close can inhibit that. So I thought that was, yeah. Yeah. And and I think most of these things, like they have these kind of short term, um, positive reactions, you know, like, oh, I feel better. I feel like I could do another workout. I didn't feel sore. But yeah, but you're right. The question is, well, did it inhibit something long-term? Is it inhibiting some of your muscle growth, right? Because again, if you worked out hard, the body has a natural response to that. And it might need to go through that process so that you could actually get growth. So if you kind of inhibit that process, you might not be getting as much out of that workout. But yeah, you might be able to train harder. And you're right. Like if you were to train hard for six, seven straight days, yeah, that might be beneficial for that kind of situation. Is this um, lady that I know... um... And she's in the States and she, I've got friends with her on Facebook and uh, she's really lovely, but she's got like Hashimoto's and ADHD and she doesn't eat enough, doesn't eat enough carbs, does all these ice baths and shit. And I just, and like, she always posts stuff about, I had a meltdown today and I thought, fuck, if you just ate some more fucking food (laughs) and stop doing these bloody ice baths and actually she does orange theory training and actually train. Mm -hmm in a better way. I'm like, you could probably fix most of your issues, but you know, yeah. yeah. Well, if you regulate your body, that will just increase, decrease the inflammatory process, right? If you're eating enough and your body is supported, then you won't have such a probably severe response. But yeah, if you're on like keto, high protein, no carbs, doing orange theory and doing all this crazy shit. Yeah. You probably feel better doing all that. Right. And then that's, it kind of goes with that whole theory too. So they have kind of these things to help them feel better from all the stress they're putting upon their bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always want to message her and be like, listen, but I don't. <laughs> That's good. Sometimes she randomly comments on my posts and I think, oh, maybe she's coming around. Yeah, you know. why not? It's just amazing. I was telling Kate about one of my friends that's a vegan and um, I helped them. They were under eating and I helped them. It was quite challenging, actually. Good, interesting challenge. It was good. It said, good challenge for you, Kitty, to create a meal plan with being vegan, trying to hit the macros. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, you know, gave them some subs to buy because they were probably a bit deficient in, uh, we were having the conversation about like retinol versus um, beta carotene. Mm-hmm. Like beta carotene, I'm like, no, you need retinol. Mm-hmm. Like, just take this supplement, all right? Like, give me some of George's. When you take it? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, you ordered it and, and the oysters. And anyway, so interesting. I was messaging Kate because I'd messaged Kate about it. And um, like two or three days later, they were like, oh, my God, I'm just sleeping better and my energy's back and I'm recovering from training. And I'm like, isn't it fucking amazing when you actually eat it? And start eating breakfast. So he never breakfast mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. and go and train fasted. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, it's just incredible, these basic things, you know, mm-hmm. like life-changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Kate's like, you're preaching to the choir, your sister. I know. Uh, amen. <laughs> and even vegan. I was like, even manage. I felt like saying, imagine if you ate some animal products, how much better you'd feel. But, you know, I'm not going to go there. Mm-hmm. You can't. I know. You can only. So- because I've, I've actually worked with a vegan, too. I always said I wouldn't take one on. But she would, this, this individual would eat dairy. So I was like, okay, if you eat dairy, well, we can work out. Yeah. But uh, even when That's you do, you because they are, well, they are, their protein is all so low. Mm-hmm. But we actually increased it by using some cheeses and milk and way more stable. She had really had horrible reflux, totally gone, better yeah. energy. Yeah. So it's really like, okay, all right, we can do this. Right. <laughs> and, but yeah, it was all legumes and bread and all that. And she had horrible digestive issues. But yeah. now I'm like, okay, just prepare them properly and do it this way and have enough of the other things and make sure your protein's up and so much better. Right. So, and just all the, 
No, the fat soluble vitamins as well, the vitamin A, like Yeah. Well, if you can get some good milk in, you can get most everything. I mean, little the only thing I think you can't get is like iron and maybe mm. some of the B vitamins. I mean, that's why, you know, taking a little liver is good, but no, they I won't do that. They're not going to do yeah. that ever. Yeah. But, you know, we've had some, com- I'd had some conversations with him and I was t- telling him about our nutrition approach. And we say, like, we encourage people to eat, like, nose to tail, like, mm-hmm. you know, eat the liver, eat the organs, eat, like, you know, we eat a lot of, like, the uh, oyster blade and the tougher, like, don't waste any of it. And he's like, oh, that's really good. You know, like, yeah. It's, right. Yeah, it's not a wasteful, you know, they didn't die in vain, the animal. But look, animals, they're like, look, animals will kill each other. We think that's yeah. fine. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, so if you just like, and they, and they could overbreed and there's, and they, they, so it's part of the life cycle. I mean, we don't have to get into this, but that's kind of the theory. Like animal, other animals are going to kill them in a far yeah. worse way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you obviously you want to, like we always say support local farmers that treat animals. Totally. Humanely. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, as long as it's all done humanely, right? That, but it's kind of part of the cycle. So, mm. anyway, sorry, got to be a train there. Yeah. Uh, thoughts on using nutrition based on blood types, blood type dining. Yeah. So, I read that book. I remember like fifteen years got ago. Me. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, I think eight blood types, and I think although the book had like maybe three or four different diets. Uh, based on so I think it's way too generalized to think that every person with type A blood should eat a certain way or type what I think that's that that doesn't make any sense to me right there's so many other factors and I think when we pick one variable and we say we're going to revolve the entire diet around this one variable around your blood type doesn't care how much stress you have in your life doesn't care about your digestive system doesn't care if you're a man or a woman or your you know your workout it's only on your blood type I think that's a little just it it, it just can't be that simplified and so, you know, we have to look at everyone's physiology independently and we can understand physiology, but so many things are changed based on how you're eating. And does this say, you know, and what I, and I remember reading that book and go, well, it depends on if you, if you had a really shitty diet prior to any of these diets, any of them would probably make you feel better because they were just real food at least, right? They cleaned up at things and so forth. So, you know, anytime you come from shit and you something better, you're going to feel a little bit better. Is it the ideal diet? No. I mean, and I just can't believe that everyone, you know, based on these eight things should only eat this way. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. okay. Um, what kind of physical and emotional changes can a person changing her diet to fix metabolism expect? It's interesting, like just talking about the emotional side. Yeah. We talk about this a lot and I think, um, and even I talk about it with Greta and I was just telling Kate that I've been doing this emotional work with Greta and I feel like that, you know, when you're actually eating enough and balancing your blood sugar and you're sleeping and you're feeling, and you feel physically like stable, it really allows you then to potentially dig into some of the harder emotional things that you're trying to work through because you have the capacity I think that's what I think. 100%. Yeah. Look, if, if your blood sugar is all over the place, you will feel erratic, unstable, emotional, right? They go hand in hand. And so when you feel more grounded because A, you've eaten enough for breakfast, you've had enough protein in your diet, you have enough carbohydrates to keep you going, you your blood sugar A, a is more stable but you'll feel more grounded. So you're more capable of making better decisions. You're not going to overreact to things. You'll feel just happier. And 
so there's a lot of factors that go into that. But as your body heals and your digestion heals, right? And digestion is such a root of so many emotions, right? Um, that everything is going to feel better. And I see that many, many times with people that are in certain relationships or jobs or, you know, but they, they can't see past a certain space. And as soon as they feel better and they start to heal, all of a sudden now they can actually create space to see these things. And they're like, huh, is this relationship I want? Do I want to change my job? Like now they can actually take, like get out of that survival space, right? We can't make the right decisions when we're in a constant state of survival. It's, it's hard to actually look outside of that. But then as soon as we feel like, okay, now I can grow and expand. Now, what do I want my life to look like? And, and that's when we really get, you know, the, the, the additional layers start to get peeled and you start to see more and the growth continues but you you need that support you need that sound support with enough nutrition and enough energy right because if you're not eating right too you're you're fatigued you don't feel good you're not sleeping well yep. your hormones are all over the place you're becoming hypothyroid you have no you know poor digestion you feel constipated or you have diarrhea i mean all these are happening and, and that alone just the effects of those will create some level of emotional crisis but but it's just going to make you just not feel right and so, yeah, I, I think you would expect as you start to stabilize yourself that your emotional state will greatly improve. Yeah, I think. And one thing I noticed, and I was talking to Greta about this the other day, like whenever, if I don't have a good sleep for whatever reason, the next day, like I feel emotional, like things that usually make me a bit, I'm not sure what the right word is to articulate, wobbly or whatever I feel. And I just know I'm okay. I just need to have a good sleep tonight. And then I wake up and say, okay, I'm good again. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So I'm like, you're trying to. Like you just, you just can't face things. Like you just can't deal with hard things. I think it's much more difficult. Yeah. You're just emotionally, I, I think you energetically can't, you don't have the energy, like low metabolism, you're not producing enough energy. So you just can't manage. You're, like I said, you're just trying to figure out, like get up and go to work and get through your day and deal with things. I mean, you barely able to, you know, so you feel tired and you'll, then you, you because you're not producing enough energy, then you don't sleep well. Right. So then you feel tired and wired. Right. And, and it's just the, and you're just trying to keep up with everything. You're not able to like stabilize and now respond to things. You're just reacting to everything. And so again, we, we have to have energy to deal with these things. Like we have to be able to produce energy to deal with these things. And if somewhere along the metabolic process, when we're not digesting food properly, so then there's not enough there to get through us, then it's creating GI distress. Then you have increased bacteria and endotoxins and all sorts of problems going on. That process is going to be hindered. And so, yeah, your bottom line, your emotional state is going to improve. Hmm. Okay. Uh, do you take aspirin? Yes. <laughs> do you? I do. Yeah, I've experimented with quite high doses as well. How high have you ever taken? Two to three grams a day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, um, well, when I had my little experience, when I got really ill from uh, Botox and a lot of other chaos going in my life, um, I developed small fiber neuropathy, which is kind of lays low until, until I get super stressed out. But during that time, the aspirin really helped my system. And I think because it was so stressed, I was probably having increases of estrogen and serotonin. And so taking the aspirin, aspirin because of the aromatase inhibitor really helped me, um, helped me sleep better. It just so, so, and I've just tried to see how, I mean, I've, I know people have taken four to five grams 
the student because it can have anti-cancer effects. It can help that at that high dose. They've shown that improve insulin, uh, improve insulin sensitivity, improve insulin resistance. Um, so it's just, you know, don't take that high dose <laughs> yeah, 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 until yeah. you know what you're doing. Um, because yeah, I mean, if your body isn't ready for something like that and you don't know what you're doing, then, you know, yeah, high dose aspirin can certainly create some ulcers in the stomach and some other problems. So, um, make sure you kind of know what you're doing. So that's another disclaimer. I did a podcast with Danny on aspirin. That mm-hmm. probably come out before this one. So yeah. Back and Perfect. Me. Yeah. It'll be a good one to listen to. Um, how to fix insulin resistance. So maybe talk about first, Kate, like what would cause insulin resistance? Is it sugar? Or is it sugar? There's a lot of reasons for insulin resistance, but it essentially is your body is, the cells are unable, well, I can't even say they're unable to take out the sugar, but they're either sugar's getting stuck in the cells or something's inhibiting the body's ability to utilize the sugar. So it's staying in the blood. And when that blood sugar gets high, right, it's going to tell insulin to elevate. And if it, it's not working, insulin keeps elevating to the point where the insulin is just not even working. Blood sugar is staying high. You know, Kate, it's I feel like really simple. This is how I think about it. My simple tell mind. Tell me. Is yeah. That like the, you've got the cell, right? And then there's insulin's like the little key that unlocks the door and goes, okay, you can go in glucose. And mm-hmm. something's blocking the lock. So the insulin can't unlock the door and let it in. Right. And so, But sometimes it is getting in mm-hmm. and it's just stuck in the cell. So mm-hmm. there is that thought process too but yes that is the, the simplest thought process that insulin is the key but sometimes it is the, the glucose is actually getting in there it just can't be utilized so there's but ultimately it looks like insulin resistant and it's not the sugar it's the inability of your body to be able to use the sugar and that can be coming from endotoxin so if you have a lot of gi issues and you have a lot of bacterial overgrowth and that bacteria are producing endotoxin right they're they're endotoxins produced from the bacteria in your GI, and then you have high permeability in the GI, so you're stressed, endotoxin gets into the system, that endotoxin works like a poison towards your cells. That will inhibit your body's ability to produce energy. So we see that high endotoxin in diabetics, obese, fatty liver, right? It Essentially, it's just poisoning everything. And so decreasing that, that's why sometimes you, if you work on someone's GI, and that's why people that go on things like carnivore or keto, where you basically move all fibers from your diet, they improve greatly because they don't have that irritation any longer and their GI basically heals and no more endotoxin. And again, again they can lose weight, their fatty liver improves, so forth, so on. I'm not telling you to do that, better ways to do it, but that's what's kind of happening. And the other thing is that high fat in the blood can also inhibit sugar's utilization. And somebody that gets in a high stress cycle, so you have high cortisol, cortisol basically is telling your body to break down, it's also releasing free fatty acids. When you have high amounts of fat being dumped into your blood from your own body, and then of course, if you eat high carb, high sugar, again, that high fat's gonna inhibit sugar oxidation, sugar's gonna stay in the system and produce what you would look at as insulin resistance. So the million dollar question is how do you fix all that? And it can be complex, but my, my first answer would always be, well, you need to address your gut. And a lot of times there's gut issues. So how dramatically you want and where you are at that process. If someone is severely diabetic at this point, then I would greatly minimize all starches from their diet. 
and all any grain, starch, fast food, PUFAs, because that can also create some endotoxin, alcohol, um, estrogen can also increase endotoxin. So you have to address it in a lot of different ways, but addressing your GI health is super important. And depending on your body, and I've seen this with different people, sometimes going really low fat can be quite helpful. And so eating more carbohydrates, and that's going to be the sweet carbohydrates. And again, you're going to have to see how your body responds to this, but it could be sometimes going really low fat helps that person because it kind of pulls the fat down and allows them to utilize the carbohydrates. Other people works the other way. You actually pull the fat up a little bit and you pull their carbs down to, you know, 150 grams and that tends to work. So you kind of have to experiment. There's no like direct single route. It's interesting, like we get quite a lot of women come into our program with like um, type 2 or insulin resistance and just by doing the basic stuff, like they cut out all the polyunsaturated fats, like stop eating all shit takeaway food, cut out the booze, you know, get adequate protein, like say eat the easy to, to digest carbs, salt, lower stress, and then yeah. they're good. Like eat liver, shellfish, you know, like I'm not saying it's just instant, but over the yeah. course of, you know, however many weeks or months and yeah, you know, it groups. Totally. And I've, and if you continually do it, the, the key is consistency too, right? If you actually do these things consistently, because your body is being pushed over and, and it's not just probably one thing that's creating the insulin resistance, right? It could be a slew of stressful things that are going on in your system, right? You have a high proof of diet, you have a lot of alcohol, right? You are estrogen dominant, you're stressed out, you're not sleeping, right? So all of those can be pushing that stress factor and creating that, that effect. So if you start improving all of those things, right? Then yes, it's all going to create kind of a domino effect to help you. And it, it, for some people, depending on what push, push them over, they can do one or two things and they see a lot of improvement. And if they're, if they're further on down the road and, and been doing these things for a lot of time, then it might, might take a lot more work. But, you know, it's, yeah, look, it, there's no magic pill. There's no magic anything. If you do the basics, like, again, work on your sleep, get a better sleep cycle in, right? Eat regularly through the day, get enough protein in, you know, try to eat foods that aren't going to irritate your GI lining and get rid of the PUFA alcohol, you'll probably make a lot of progress. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, I remember I did a one on uh, this, actually. go If people go back and listen, there's two podcasts, one with Georgie, I did it on, and uh, one with Isaac, you know, Isaac Pullman, he's got type mm -hmm. diabetes, and they mention all those things, and glycine too, collagen as well, mm -hmm. collagen. Um, yeah. Yeah, if you're interested, go back and listen to those podcasts. Yeah. And some of the B vitamins too, but like, yeah, I think it's like five, six grams of glycine a day can help pull blood sugar down. Right. There are, there are some supplements that you can certainly take that will have effect, but I don't know if they're necessarily fixing the system, but they're just having uh, a blood sugar lower With the other stuff, like he also mentioned niacinamide is another good one you could throw. Exactly. If you're doing mm -hmm. aspirin, if you're yep. doing basics, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, go back and listen to those podcasts. They're really good. Um, how much time do you like to see between calorie deficits, 250, I don't know if this is a separate part, 250 to 550 calorie cuts? Yeah, I, it was a little bit confusing. Yeah, I, I think the first one, like, depends on the person, I think, the individual. Yeah, I, right. If you're doing a small deficit, sometimes you can go. Long time. Five months. I think it yeah. depends on how much fat you've got to lose too. Like a lot of our totally. ladies who are like, 40% body fat. Yep. And they'll just sit in that small 10%, 15% calorie deficit and for a long period of time. And they're yep. fine. Yep. 
Yep. And I think it depends on, cause I like, what I like to look is just other markers. Like, yep. are you sleeping still? Do you yep. feel good? Are you, is your energy good? Right. If all yep. those are still good and you, and you're, you're still at that, you know, 10 to 15% deficit, I'll keep you there because you feel good. You know, we know you're still using fat. I'll pay attention to your temperatures and pulse, but as long as, so it's to, to me, I like to pull them out. Usually if all of a sudden I know they're going to go into a stressful time, I'm like, look, yes. yeah, we're we got to eat. Yeah, we're going to yeah, pull yeah. you out. That's time to eat. We got to keep you through it, right? Or if they just kind of start plateauing and then I pull them out again. But some people that can be two or three months. Others are like four to six months almost. If they're still good, everything's good. And I really think it's like those, like those are women that are like say in our program who are into the healthier body fat range, like they're, you know, they might be sitting at 26, 27 and they've done a muscle building phase and then they're, then they'll do a cut like for however long, like they're, cause they're leaner and less body fat stores. So you just wouldn't yeah. they go as long. That's right. Yeah. So just so person dependent, I think. That's right. Yeah. You can't just yeah. do this. And maybe too, they asked about like, I think maybe they're asking like how much, how many calories would you cut? Well, we would look at it as, as a percentage rather than a calorie amount. So like whatever your maintenance calories in, and then it's a reduction, a percentage reduction of the maintenance calories rather than going, everyone eats 500 calories less. Exactly. Yeah. Because obviously the yeah. lower your maintenance calories. Yeah. And I, I guess maybe they're just saying like an average. Mm-hmm. I guess, but yeah, it, it, and that's, you know, it, when you go dramatically, when you see these people do these severe calorie cuts, the body kind of responds quickly to that. And it, it almost like you get, a, you get a good drop, but then it's like, you're starving us. Like, <laughs> slow this process down. Whereas mm-hmm. if you do a more gradually slower process, it allows you to keep going. And then, yeah, at some point in time, you have to do a little bit of an increase. And then, but if your body, you just don't want your body to kind of adapt to that process and that's what those little bumps of increased calories do help, right? And as long as you keep steady with everything else, it will keep going down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, how to lose hormonal weight, 40 pounds in a year. I don't think you could like, I don't know. I think it's the same, like the same process we do with everyone. There's no yeah, specific and- like hormonal weight or, you know, you you work on improving your health. Yeah, I mean, the ladies in our program, the, the big ladies that have lost like, like we've had lots of ladies 40 pounds plus and they've had shit cycles and they've lost weight and they've improved their cycle issues at the same time. Yeah. And, and it, it, I read that and I was kind of like, you know, what does that really mean? Like hormonal weight is like, does that mean you have low thyroid, you have hypothyroidism, or is it you're going through perimenopause and menopause and you've gained significant weight? Because the next question is like, well, what else is different in your life? Is there a lot of stress? Have you changed things? Are you eating differently? Have you are you less active? Right. Yeah. So we need to kind of like I just feel like women like yes, your hormones has to do with it, but I think it's less than you think, and it's more like when I talk to them on on calls, I'm like, well, tell me about what's happened. Oh, I just went through a massively stressful time, and I've been drinking more, and I've just been eating more because it just feels nice to eat and drink yeah. to cut the stress. I've not been as active. You know, so all these things contribute and when they actually start, you know, eating better foods and balancing their blood sugar and doing some more steps and strength training, lowering stress. It's like, I mean, we, we put everyone through the same process. It's the same, not exactly the same, but, you know, same principles. The same principles. But but again, and in, in that would be like, so, yeah, if it, it was a hormonal weight gain, like, were you in a high stress state? So you have like cortisol raging through your system at this point in time, because, yeah, as you get older, Cortisol is going to start inhibiting your body from u- utilizing the energy appropriately. And it, you know, 
that that hormone that maybe used to help you get skinny quickly is now helping you get a lot of fat around your belly and back and so forth because it's also going to drive other hormones like estrogen uh even serotonin they're all going to start elevating too so to get that under control yeah you got to get out of the stress you got to start regulating your blood sugar right you have to do all those bases there's a there's no magic here to take this hormone pill it mm. is trying to figure out your physiology that just occurred in the last year and then regulating that and again, then slow and steady weight loss mm. like everywhere though like and i'm not, again obviously those things do affect it but women i, I said and so did you track your food this entire time and were you eat, were eating the exact same amount of calories and doing the exact same activity and, and then you gained all this weight? And they're like, no, that's never the case, ever. So yeah. it's... Oh. Right. And I think and what I what I don't like is in, our, in this space, especially I feel like menopausal marketing is becoming really oh. big right now because everyone's like, we're finally being taken care of. They're talking about yeah. menopause. But I'm like, yeah, now you're being marketed to like everybody else. Yeah. And again, it's about, look, let's just understand what's happening to your body. You're going through, a, you're, you're going through a change. It's more stressful to your system. So we have to think about that and go, look, you might be a little bit more sensitive to stress now because of the, what is happening to you. So let's take that into consideration and let's do all the same principles with taking understanding that that we now have to work into the equation. But there's really not that big of a difference of how you do it. Hmm. Just, but I feel like now, because again, we do have all these menopausal things talking and we can do this and it's also different and, da, 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 and you, you know, and, people, and women are like, see, now you understand me. Right. I'm like, but, yeah, but I feel like I just, I say to like, listen, cause I'm so always so, but I say, I say, this is good news for you because it means that you can actually improve this stuff. Like you, menopause isn't a disease and you're not fucked and you know, That's you right. You're not like, okay, you have to spend the rest of your life fat and having hot flushes and insomnia and stuff. Like you right. really have the power to change this and it's not that difficult. But I think it just also too takes them a bit longer, like their bodies to respond and change. And But you will get there. And I've seen it. Like I did a, I did a bloody interview with a client just last week who's in her 50s who had all these menopausal symptoms, all gone. She's slowly, her body composition is changing, but it's been slow, but you know, it's happening and she feels so much better and she just went through the same process as everyone else, but it's just slower. It's just been slower. Yeah. I mean, what I think is, is your life is just caught up to you and it's happening around a time where you're having these hormonal changes that were happening, but it's creating, it's like your tipping point and mm. it just all seems to be happening at that. But you know, we see it. So it does happen to some women at younger years now. It happens at 35 or 40, you know? And, and so, because Women are, the one thing that we are doing is that the people are, the women are doing everything. They're working, raising children, trying to be the, you know, everything and every, and you just can't, right? Mm -hmm. it, it comes too much. And I think that then they're, they stress their system so much. And then when they start to have these hormonal changes, cause there is, it just hits them like a ton of bricks. And then they're like, it's the menopause. I'm like, no, it's probably the last 20 years of your life catching yeah. up to you. And now it's showing up. And I think too, it's difficult, you know, like I went to this networking event and there was this lady there, um, she was so lovely and she was going through like menopause and she was quite overweight and her doctor had got her on antidepressants, yep. HRT, but there she's at the fit function down in the bloody wine, eating the pufa laden food, you know, like it's, it's, I think doctors like, like you have to make these lifestyle changes, which is more difficult, I think, than just taking a pill or take, Absolutely. it's easy just to take a pill, but we have to fundamentally like look at how we're living 
and change that. And I mean, I love booze. I'd love to be having some wine every night, but I don't like how it makes me feel. And I know that obviously drinking wine every night isn't going to be great for me. Um, but, you know, and, and and making an effort to actually, am I eating enough protein? Am I starting my day with it? all the things that we talk about? They take effort. Um, yeah. And that's the hard part. And the thing is, when you don't feel well and you don't feel good about yourself, I mean, I do have, there's a lot of empathy that goes out because it, it, it drags on you, right? And you're And you're trying to fight this thing that you think is, creating now this feeling within you when it's like, look, you, you have some power here and we can change it. But if you've been living your whole life, you know, kind of like stressed and go, go, go. And, you know, I can just drop my calories and things fell off of me. And now that's not happening. You're like, it's menopause. And I'm like, <laughs> right. I'm like, eh. you know, I go, look, what you have done your last 20 or 30 years has created this physiological body that you're in now. And now we have to try to unwind that. So now we have to level you out. Now we have to try to build things back up. And yeah, it's a little bit challenge, more challenging when you're 50 than when you're 20, mm -hmm. right? But it all takes a change. And that can be the challenging part with yes. people, especially if they're very used to getting quick results. It's like, yeah. look, we've got to come change everything. And, and you are more, like you could be more glucose sensitive at this point, meaning you don't tolerate it as well. And if you still don't change your life and you're still trying to keep up with the craziness that you created, that's going to be challenging. And so you have to kind of open your eyes and go, look, we've got to change some things. Mm. We've got to create a healing environment for you. And what does that look like? But like we say, the good news is like, it's empowering to know that you can change it. That's right. You don't have to do crazy stuff like eat a shit ton of green vegetables and cut out all sugar and carbs and all the stuff that, you know, menopause people tell you that you need to do. Um, yes. Yeah. Right. With, with an understanding that you could be more glucose intolerant. And if that is the case, then you have to make sure that you address that. And a lot of times what I always like, we got to look at your gut and see how well that's working. Because sometimes if you fix that and clean that up, that you will tolerate sugars better. Mm. But then again, too, like when you talk about like new people here, they think about like, you know, people come to me and they're on these gut fucking healing protocols and they're eating a fuck ton of green vegetables. Like it's not what you think it is, I think. Like when I used to typically think gut, you know, improving my gut health. They just, they're blown away by the suggestion of eating, you know, like, like fruits and juice and, you know, like collagen, yeah. you know, anyway, that's another bloody. Right. Well, I think most people come from that perspective. They're trying to fiber you up to try to push everything down. Right. Like we just need to fiber you up. We'll have more fiber in bulk and that and will help you food. up your goal. Yeah. Get on the bloody fermented foods. Yeah. But look, if your GI is under-energized, it's not getting blood flow because, again, your your digestive system works in that parasympathetic state. And if you are in that sympathetic state all the time, blood flow goes away from your GI system. It just doesn't work, right? Your literally nervous system says shut it down. So mm -hmm. that is going to be compromised. So you have to get out of that space, right? Your your digestive system is this one big lung muscle and it, mm -hmm. and it needs energy to function. And if mm -hmm. it's not getting it, then yeah, putting a bunch of bulky crap in there will kind of sort of help it. It's better than eating poofas and, and, and fast food all day long, but ultimately it's not going to fix it, right? We have to get it energized. And the best way to do it is give it calories that are easily digestible and absorbable up in the, the, the first part of the intestinal area, which are going to be those easy to digest carbohydrates. Mm. All right. All right. Um... Oh, nutrition advice for those in perimenopause and menopause. I think we should just say, Kate and I have done two podcasts on this dedicated to perimenopause and menopause already. So I would say to people, go back and listen to them because we talk about the nutrition 
in yeah. it. Well, 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 I think that we just kind of relays onto that last question. It's the same kind of thing. I go, look, we, you have to rethink and I, and I, and I, you have to have these conversations because, because we're being marketed to right now, you, you're, they're made you thinking that now this is your, this time and we've got to address it that nobody's ever talked about mentos. We're going to talk about it now. And it's this, now we have to change everything. You got to go keto and you got to intermittent mm -hmm. or whatever. No, you got to still do all the basics knowing that it might be catching up to you, but yes, there is a hormonal shift and that's absolutely happening. But if you support your system, like we've been talking about, um, and do all the things and work on your sleep and maybe add some other things in there that can help regulate your blood sugar, like we've talked about, then that's going to be a good start for you. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And go back and listen to those podcasts. They're really good. There's two. The, yeah. Those will help yeah. you. And then there's one with Ray as well, where he talks a lot about like menopause. I think he talks a bit about menopause. Yeah. Yes. Thoughts on Mindy Pell's fast like a girl approach. I've never heard of that. I haven't either. I did Google that. Um, I don't know what. So I, I listened to a few of her podcasts. And all I have to say is, look, I don't, I don't want to talk poorly about someone. But um, a, a lot of what she says doesn't make any sense. And I want to go into the depths of it. <laughs> Um, but basically, it sounds like her philosophy is she wants to teach women the fast in the first part of your cycle. When estrogen's high, she's like, that's the time when you should just long fast. And then when you're around your ovulation and the faster you get a little bit less. And then when progesterone's high, you should have more carbohydrates. That that was kind of the premise of it all. So look, fasting makes people feel better for two reasons. Low go gut irritants you're not eating anything. So a lot of people that have a really irritated GI, and just like we talked about before, they can have bacterial load and endotoxins, all that will create havoc in your system. If you don't eat, guess what? That all decreases. So people will feel better when they do a fast. The other thing a fast is, it usually comes with a calorie deficit. You're just not eating as much food, right? So when they do these studies and they show where they fast and they lost weight, but usually if they do a study with fasting and then just people on a calorie deficit, they show usually equal amounts of weight loss, same thing. So there's no really difference there. Um, there's no magic with fasting, right? We can use words like autophagy and go, well, it's helping your cells clean up and they break down and they clean up. And I'm like, look, your cells are doing that all the time. Yeah. Just, you, you don't have to fast to have autophagy going on. And it happens while you're sleeping, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I remember listening to Jay Feldman once and he made this comment and I go, that's really a perfect comment, right? It's like trying to fast to increase autophagy is like going and messing up your room so you can clean it up more, right? It's like breaking more stuff down so you can get more cleanup factors, right? It just doesn't make sense. Your body is naturally doing it. So if, you know, can fasting offer some benefits to people? Yes. And, and if you, you know, and if you're, when you fast, you probably don't stress the crap out of yourself and you're pretty healthy and you feel good doing that. Go for it. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm not completely against it because I think it, some people just like the fact of like, I, I just don't eat for a day and it's easier for me and I do better when I fast. I'm like, okay. You know what I think though, Kate, like what I don't like about fasting is that there's no, you know, like maybe if women actually like track their calories and made sure they had enough protein and they were getting enough of the right nutrients. Let's just say, for example, they were like, look, it just really works for me because I'm busy more in the morning and I do better and I just start eating at 10, but I still make sure I get enough calories in the day. I'm hitting my protein targets. I'm getting, but no one does that. They just go, fuck, I'm just going to fast. And then 
you know, like, and then I think too, you know, women are so stressed these days, more stressed than, you know, back in the caveman days. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a good point because I think she kind of, and, and, and she talks about this in her podcast. Well, it's a little bit different for if, what if you're not having your cycle? And she's just like, oh, you just kind of do the same things, just kind of mimic the, the, the ways of your cycle. And I'm like, women today are so stressed, right? And now again, this is all coming from where are you coming from, right? If you are eating a shit diet and all of a sudden you start fasting and you lose a little weight, and maybe that helps you regulate your, you know, and lose a little body fat. Yeah, you're going to get some benefits from that for sure. And for some people that don't, they're just, it's easy for them. They're like, I just don't eat, right? That's really easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I just eat in a window, right? And they they find like, well, I can just kind of, so they they do get some benefit. Is that the optimal way to, to manage things? And do I think that women should be fasting? No, I actually don't. If you are really healthy and you want to, and you, but there, there's better ways to accomplish things. Yeah. Right when you don't fast for a certain amount of time, is your you're, it's going to initiate a stress response in your system. If you don't fast for two days, you're not eating. How do you think your body's fueling itself? Yeah. It has to. It, it it constantly needs fuel all the time, and you don't store enough glycogen, store glucose, to keep you more than eight to ten hours. So you will be eating some body fat. That is true, but you're also going to be burning some muscle tissue, connective tissue, and so forth. So. That does happen. And so, we, you know, you'll probably have some ketones being produced and so forth because that was the other thing that this woman was promoting was going to, you know, do keto for a while. And so, look, I have just found long-term, especially women in perimenopause and menopause, that is not a good way to go. You, you need to be more supported at this point in time. Your, your body's going through changes. You're stressed out. We need to keep you regulating and, and kind of eating to that way. Long-term, maybe short-term, you might see some benefits long-term is not going to be a good decision for you. And I think if your life is so fucking hectic that you can't stop for 10 minutes to eat some breakfast, I'm like, I think there's other things that need to change. You know, I feel like I just literally cannot stop to eat. Yeah. Like, I just... Well, and some people can't. Like, I, I talk to some people and I'm like, I don't know how you do it. You like three or four kids, you're like homeschooling and you're like a job on the side and you're doing it. I'm like, oh. yeah. Um, and, it, and it's a lot. And I, and I, feel these women that have so much going on so you know it's just like look we're just gonna take little steps like what can we manage you know and because then when you get someone feeling a little bit better then they can manage a little bit more but i'm like look this is baby steps but if your life is chaos we, we gotta like strand yeah i just think though too if your life is busy you're gonna be better if you if you're fueled like you're gonna cope out and there's just you can you can always you know i remember when we worked in the gym and we'd have really early mornings I'd even just blend a shake. Like I'd have milk, raw egg, collagen, honey, banana, coffee, and I would just blend that and put it in the fridge. And I just, I mean, it wasn't that amazing flavor, but I would grab it on the way out, drink it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You can make a sway in two minutes and a good one and tons of nutrients in it, Mm. right? Quick. So, and and certainly in a pinch, I like smoothie. Oh, I just made you sneeze. Excuse me. (laughs) Yeah. Although I really, like, I don't really enjoy smoothies for breakfast. You know, I'm into the sourdough muffins. I'm really addicted at the moment to sourdough crumpets, sorry. One with egg and cheese with a slice of Gouda cheese and a fried egg and a bit of butter and the other one with butter and jam. Mm. Oh, it's it's incredible. Look you. Juice, I have juice as well, coffee with milk, collagen. It's like 850 calories. It's like a stellar solid breakfast. I know. So Some women, that's all they eat all day. Yeah. I'm so hungry now and it's 8.45. 
Um, next one, I've got another podcast at nine, so everybody can. I love milk. Milk is amazing for us, but when I drink five to six glasses of it per day, I have to pee more. What gives? I would have to really see what the rest of the diet looks like. Yeah. And is like that the only variable that's going on, right? I mean, so normally just milk drinking shouldn't technically, it's certainly more liquid, but your body's using a lot of that nutrition, right? So for a lot of people, if your system's working, you, you won't pee that much more. But certainly if you have a lot of other liquid in your diet, I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. I, I would have to kind of assess what else is going on with you? And like, because my other question would be, well, what are you doing all day long? Like, is that even enough calories? Are you stressed out? Stress in itself can increase histamine. Histamine can irritate the bladder. That can make you pee all day, right? So there's a lot of reasons why someone might be peeing all day. Mm. And it could be just an increase in histamine. Mm -hmm. Okay. okay. Um, in fat loss, do calories matter more than macros or do they both matter? Well, calories, I would say calories and then protein. Yeah, that's a check. So, the calories obviously like in white. Well, it depends on where you're coming from, right? So, calories do matter. Like, people that say calories yeah. don't matter are crazy. But yeah, you can't just eat an unlimited amount of calories and think mm -hmm. that I'm going to lose weight. But at the same time, coming from a, a place of trying to improve metabolic rate, you're trying to improve your body's ability to produce energy, right? That's the goal is to convert your food into energy and that energy will run your system. And when that's running well, you will naturally, you know, your body doesn't want to be heavy. So if all things are working well, the body will start letting go of body fat. And that's why you see, you know, when you when you kind of look at these really crazy diets, like the, and I know we've talked about this before, but the, the milk here, where they consumed literally like 3000 calories of pure milk and laid in a bed all day long and people would lose 20, 30 pounds, like tons of weight doing nothing. Because they're, they, they were starting to produce and utilize the energy to heal. Like to heal a body takes a considerable amount of energy, but we're so busy using it all for everything else that we're doing in our life. It just doesn't go there. And so we always stay in dysfunction. So that's why I like the calories in, calories out is part of the Would you think? I feel like this needs to be said though. We've talked about this before, like, because so many people come into this world and then they just eat all of the food and gain all of this weight and they don't track their calories and then go, you, you know, like some people say, don't track it, don't track, just eat the food. And I think that's a bit misleading because I think a lot of women, because we don't say that, like we've done podcasts on it, like the tracking, that's why the tracking is really important. But I think some women come in and they're like, oh, they told me not to track my calories and I just started eating all this ice cream and full fat dairy and like heaps of fat and carbs to get the excess calories and they gained a ton of weight. Yeah, well, again, you're, you're trying to, and I, I can sort of understand that philosophy because, again, you're trying to improve your body's ability to convert that food into energy, right? It's not just you can eat a bunch of food and all of a sudden you have a high metabolic rate. That's not yeah. how it works. Weight just drops off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it, it's not that you can't eat, like people think, I'll just eat more food, my metabolism's going to improve like immediately, and that's going to create my ability to, to burn off more. But look, your body still has to convert the energy in food into energy for yourself and if your metabolism is not working optimally it's probably having a trouble doing that so just to all of a sudden eat a ton more calories in a system that isn't working optimally is just going to result in weight gain and mm -hmm. so you have to be that's why tracking is good you still have to consider calories but as your body starts to heal and things start to improve you will have a you will 
be able to convert those calories into fuel better. And that's when you'll see improvements in temperature and pulse and all these things. Because now your body's using the energy it's creating to make you feel better and have you sleep and do your workouts and build muscle and all that versus just storing it. But again, you have to make sure that if your gut's all messed up and you start eating a ton of calories, well, you're still going to have a ton of problems. It's going to gain a ton of weight. Mm -hmm. So they're both important, I think, because also if you try to put someone in a deficit, you know, I, I would say calories are probably more important, but if you give someone an entirely 100% carbohydrate diet, they probably won't feel as good. They're not going to feel as grounded. Um, so it, macros will play a role, certainly. And of course, you know, if someone's in a deficit, you can pull their protein up because it does take more energy to break protein down and use it as fuel. However, you don't want to do that all the time. <laughs> So you want to kind of take that in consideration, right? We, we burn about 30% of the calories when we use protein as energy, which you don't want to primarily use protein as energy, but you can use it as a tool when you definitely start to pull someone's calories down. All right. Last um, question. Asian countries use seed oils, but don't have the same health issues as USA or UK. Why is this? It's a bit of a... So I think it's more... I think China uses more like lard and animal fats like beef fat i think japan i think i haven't studied these cultures and exactly I, I do think that they do use some seed oils now to what degree do they use them like i don't think that they're eating mcdonald's and crackers and processed foods right there's probably a tipping point to all of this it's not to say that their health issues aren't increasing in areas like japan and some of these asian cultures because they are like the rest of the world but I think because we probably eat in excess and we eat hypufa and we have a lot. So there's never one thing that's creating all the problems, right? I think some of the, a lot of the spotlights on seed oils right now, they're like, oh, it's seed oil. Seed oil is causing all the problems. I'm like, no, it's not just one thing. There is a slew of things out there that are creating health issues in our country. And white gain. And yeah, exactly. We so eat a heap of pupas, but I was skinny because I starved myself. Exactly. Ditto. Right. I was eating nuts and seeds. Right. So it wasn't good for us, but we certainly weren't overweight. Right. So you can certainly do that. But again, is it creating other problems? And again, I'd have to kind of go dive deeply into their cultures and see because, you know, they have issues, too. Um, There are certain areas in Japan that do live a longer life. And but they're I don't think they're eating like tons of seed oils. Right. They're they're eating Mm -hmm. like sweet potatoes and fresh fish. And, but again, I, I don't specifically know, but I do think there is some toward tipping point. I don't think that's the only variable. I think there's probably 50, 60, 70 variables that we could consider certainly in the United States and UK that are affecting everybody's health. And that's why we'll never pinpoint it. And we'll never, because no one's ever going to do a study and it's impossible to do a study to kind of put all these variables and say, okay, we're going to just look at these things and see if it's what this is contributing, right? We're just going to look at drug usage and see what that's going to alcohol usage, right? Fast food, whatnot. But that would kind of be my, uh, you know, but yeah, I, you know, it's certainly probably not helping them, but you know, they have other things that are probably healthier than us. I think uh, the, one of the longest living cultures overall is in Hong Kong. But I think that the main variable for that is they have really good healthcare and it's really cheap. Mm-hmm. And so that's available because right. We take the mean average of everybody. So people can live longer with better healthcare. Mm-hmm. There you have it. Well, that was All it. Right. Timing. Um, yeah. And as always, guys, take a screenshot and share your takeaways on Instagram stories and tag me at Kitty Blumfield, K-I-T-T-Y-B-L-O-M-F-I-E-L-D. Tag, tag Kate as well. Uh, and share your biggest takeaways. And each month I pick a winner and they get a tub of Saturay premium collagen valued at $79. 
We'll be back again next week.